0: If you start breathing through the mouth more often, you're gonna have more inflammation in kiddos, especially. And then there are all the issues that are a result of poor sleep. If you've got an eight-year-old that's still bedwetting, then the first thing, the first thing your pediatrician should be looking at is sleep apnea and airway issues in your child.
1: Welcome to Wellness, your ultimate guide to unlocking your full human potential through biohacking. I'm your host, Ashley Daly. I'm a former personal trainer, Pilates instructor, and nutrition expert with a degree in kinesiology. I'm here to guide and support you in elevating the quality of your life. As a reminder, when you subscribe to this show, you're supporting my business and helping listeners like yourself find and access this health information faster. More listeners means more featured guests coming your way. And if you have time, I would love if you would leave me a review as this also helps boost visibility for my show. Today's guest is none other than Dr. Tony Ingram, a second time featured guest who I had to have back on the show because we ran out of time last time talking about oral health. So this time around, we're going to take an even deeper dive. As a reminder for Tony's background, she's a biological holistic dentist, my favorite kind of dentist, who graduated second in her high school class. She then attended Texas Christian University and graduated magna cum laude with a Bachelor of Science degree in biology. She earned her doctorate degree at Baylor College of Dentistry. As a general dentist focused on holistic and biological dentistry, Dr. Ingram is a member of HDA, Holistic Dental Association, and IAOMT, International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxology and the IABDM International Academy for the Biological Dentistry and Medicine. She is also SMART certified in safe amalgam removal technique, accredited through the IAOMT, and is a TBI ambassador through the Breathe Institute. She is also a certified integrative health coach through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. She is also a local supporting member of the Dallas Holistic Chamber. All right, listeners, let's dive in to part two of this oral health series. Dr. Ingram, welcome back to the show. Thank
0: you so much. I'm glad to be here.
1: I'll tell you, one of my biggest letdowns with podcasters is they'll have these legendary guests on, they'll get into these great discussions, and then they'll say, oh, I have to have you back on the show. And they never do. So I couldn't Uh wait for round two think where I'd like to start is where we left off last time, which was talking about the fluoride action network. I have to tell you, I took a deep dive. I went down the rabbit hole. I listened to all your podcast episodes, including the one with Erica. Is it Acuna? Her Acuna yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Good. So that made me really happy. I think one of the things I wanted to touch on and that I wanted to bring up again was something that Erica said was, if fluoride worked, why are people still getting cavities?
0: That's that's the million, billion dollar question. If it really worked, what the heck is the deal? Um, Carries rates still are... Our study and tooth decay is still one of the most common reasons that children miss school in this country. So it's still a huge, huge issue, and clearly the water fluoridation program just didn't do the job that it was intended
1: to do. I didn't know that's why kids were missing school. That's pretty shocking. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to repeat exactly what Erica said, which was, we don't have a fluoride deficiency. We have a nutrient deficiency. 100%. Isn't that gold? It's so, it was so good. I was like, I have to say that yeah. on my podcast. Give Erica the credit, which Absolutely. takes me into my next topic, which we touched on in the first episode, but I don't know if people know who Weston A. Price is. We talked a little bit about nutrition, but can you give us a background about who he is and what his studies showed?
0: Yeah, so Weston A. Price was a dentist by by training, a dentist by trade, uh, in I believe Cleveland back in the early 1900s, and he did some did some mission work, did some research in um, in other third world countries and third world areas where there were more native cultures. And he just found it really interesting that in these native cultures, that it just so happened that the children had far fewer dental problems. Um, They had these nice, broad jaws, um, very straight teeth, and no cavities. So when he started digging in a little bit more, it seemed like there was a pretty direct correlation between when a society or a community would start adopting more of a westernized diet, a diet of more grains, more highly processed foods. And, and when these children started to exhibit these, these oral deficiencies, they started to have more crowding in their teeth and they started to have more tooth decay.
1: I feel like that's really eye-opening i think one of the controversial topics from weston a price is that because we're eating softer foods we have smaller jaws or smaller skulls can you tell me your opinion or thoughts on that
0: yeah well now there's really some good data behind that theory um and has really influenced modern orthodontics and why orthodontics has changed so much over the last 30 years. Um, So there, when we look at crowding, there are actually a lot of factors that lead to crowding. And we have to, you know, to understand that, we have to back up even further, I feel like. So you, so catch me if I go down too many rabbit holes or if I get off track, But the principle that we really have to understand is that our skeletal growth and development follows soft tissue function or lack thereof. So bone follows soft tissue always. That's why we lift weights, we strengthen our muscles to improve our bone density and lessen our chances of osteoporosis because the more we use the muscle, the soft tissue, the stronger the bone will get. Same thing in our mouths. We see this in many different ways in our mouths. So if we lose a tooth, we will actually, you know, you're lo- losing some soft tissue in that area, that soft tissue that connects the tooth to the bone. So we will lose bone height and we'll lose bone thickness. Again, the bone is the result of the other tissue in the area. Um, in gum disease, gum recession leads to bone loss which is what eventually causes tooth loss so bone always follows the soft tissue and in the mouth in growth and development is like let's say there is a tongue tie the tongue is too tightly tethered to the floor of the mouth Well, the tongue is really designed to be the strongest muscle in our mouth that guides the growth and development of our palate, of the size and width of our jaws. If that can't happen, if there's a tongue tie, if someone's mouth breathing, you know, leaving their mouth hung open all the time, then the tongue is no longer the strongest muscle in that area that it's supposed to be. And your cheeks become the strongest muscle in the area. So again, the bone follows the soft tissue. It follows the function of those muscles. And so if the cheeks are the strongest muscle, we're going to grow and develop these much more narrow jaws. Whereas if we are chewing foods that require a lot of chewing, like meats and tough tough vegetables, tough plants if we are nursing for a long period of time and able to open our mouth around mother's breast, then all of those things combine to give us healthier, widely developed jaws that are less prone to crowding and other problems. So to go back to, you know, we start connecting that to what Weston A. Price was seeing in his research, um, his theory was that poor diet led to a malabsorption of nutrients? This malabsorption of nutrients led to inflammation and more allergies, which then led to mouth breathing, which then led to, yeah. you know, if you're sleeping with your mouth open again, then we go back to what's the strongest muscle in the area. So it's all connected. It's not necessarily just the diet, you know, just the fact that there's sugar and the diet is processed and it's, you know, crap, basically, it really is that it, it all affects the function of the soft tissue. So as that function of the soft tissue goes, then the hard tissue will follow and the bone will follow.
1: There's so much to unpack there. I'm really glad you gave us that thorough, thorough explanation. So, maybe it doesn't sound like a go-gurt or applesauce should be your go-to snack for your kids.
0: Exactly, which is so hard because we're, especially, and I feel like this era, we're so protective of our protective and permissive, um, maybe sometimes to a fault. Uh, So, yeah, the go-gurts, the applesauces, the things that are that, seem like they are at least a healthier option, uh, really are not doing our kid any favors as far as their growth and development is concerned.
1: Now you talked about mouth breathing mouth breathing and how the tongue helps guide growth and development. So can you unpack potentially how this is effect, how this is affecting our airways and maybe causing people to snore?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, it's like this horrible cycle for a lot of people, for a lot of of the patients that come through my office. So what may start as a tongue tie um, could absolutely lead to some pretty intense sleep apnea and airway issues as an adult that might go just under the radar and undetected for a long time. So how, how that happens is, again, when we talk about a tongue tie, and when we say a tongue tie, that just means that the fascia that connects the tongue to the floor of the mouth. In some people, there's a little string of tissue. You can lift up your tongue and see the string. Um, for some people, that little string of tissue is not really visible. It's more of the fascia that's below the surface. Um, but as that tongue is basically tied down to the floor of the mouth it really cannot get up where we want it to get up and once that happens then yes your jaw becomes more narrow like we've talked about and as the jaw becomes more narrow I mean you can visualize it in your your own your own face in your own skull if your jaw is more narrow well what's right behind your jaw it's your airway and so we look at, uh, at CT scans all the time where we're looking at the jaw, but then just posterior to that is this teeny tiny little air, narrow airway because that's all the room that you had to be able to grow. So as we get to, um, you know, as we look at how the jaw grows And then how the airway grows, it absolutely follows suit and can sometimes, you know, when we have a narrow airway, then absolutely we lay down at night, we lay on our back, then our tongues fall back even further and close that airway even further, which can absolutely lead to some snoring and some sleep apnea, some of those hypopnea events where you lose your oxygen saturation at night as you sleep.
1: That doesn't sound too good. So are there ways that we can fix the airway? Do you need surgery? Walk me through some of those options.
0: If we can catch, what's really cool is that if we can catch it in our kids, we can avoid so many issues and so many surgeries really if we can catch it in our young, young kids, like sometimes as young as three, four, and five, we can start catching these narrow airways. Um, And then you can do all kinds of appliances, orthodontic expansion devices. Um, We can look at tonsils and allergies and all of these different things to help them grow more ideally. In very minimally invasive ways, which is the goal. Now, if we don't, if we get to adulthood and we have this narrow airway and we are having some symptoms, uh, then we have to look at what's the what's the actual cause of the symptoms. If it really is purely a narrow a narrow jaw and a narrow airway, um, and there's not enough room for the you know the mouth is too small for the tongue, basically then yeah, sometimes oral surgery is the only way to go where an oral surgeon will will literally go in and break your jaws apart and screw them back together in a way that opens things up. And that, if it's needed, it can be life-changing and life-saving. So it's a fantastic procedure to have access to But man, we sure hope that we don't ever have to do that, that it doesn't ever get to that point. Um, You know, if we kind of take it it a step back, if we don't have to do surgery or if surgery is just not an option for that particular patient, then there are some devices that can do a decent job of opening up the airway. It's like an expander for adults. We have to be careful with those and there are only certain practitioners that are trained and well-trained in doing that without wreaking havoc because sometimes those cases can go poorly and when they go poorly, it's really, really not good. Um, But it is possible to be able to get some expansion with some devices in adults. Um, You can do a little bit of Invisalign and tip the teeth out just enough to get get a little more opening. Again, you have to be careful with that and you have to make sure that the dentist or orthodontist is really experienced in being able to do that, but that is possible too. There's actually, you know, if we wanna take it even a step back from that, um, even less invasive, there's a laser procedure that we can do. Um, I actually do it in, in my office, it's called Night Lays. And the night lace procedure uses an Erbium YAG laser and it deep heats the tissue of the back of the tongue, the floor of the mouth, and the soft palate. And as you deep heat that tissue over you know, three or four sessions every couple of weeks, you stimulate collagen fibers to build up. And as those collagen fibers increase, you can get tightening of that soft tissue to actually open the airway up that way. So it's a, a nice way to get some quick-ish relief.
1: Never heard of that tech. I have, I have a few follow-up questions. I know you're familiar with James Nestor's book, Breath, and the technique of ewing and how I imagine... Professionals like yourself say that if there's not enough room in your mouth for your tongue, if your teeth touch your tongue when your mouth is closed, that you could potentially have a smaller jaw or skull. So, can you walk me through that technique and what professionals like yourself advise?
0: Yeah, I really, I really like Dr. Mew and his techniques. I think it's really cool and it basically just uses principles of myofunctional therapy, which, you know, since Nestor's book, um, in the last five to 10 years, we've really seen an increase in education and an increase in training and an increase in dental professionals kind of joining hand in hand with speech and language pathologists to be able to do this oral, oral myofunctional therapy, which is, I, I feel like there are differences, but there, it's, it's basically the same thing. It ser- serves the same function. It is basically physical therapy for your mouth. You're doing very specific targeted exercises, targeted stretches to try to build the muscles of the tongue, the face, the muscles of mastication in order to improve function in order to place the tongue where it ideally should be placed, which is on the roof of the mouth, right behind the teeth uh, and against the, the hard palate to, to really give us more optimal function.
1: For someone who doesn't know what mewing is, can you please explain it?
0: Oh yeah. So it's, you know, once we got into OMT, into myofunctional therapy, it's been a while since I've looked at his stuff online, but it really is, it is exercises for your face where you're strengthening your face muscles and your mouth muscles in order to be able to function and breathe more optimally.
1: Awesome. There's, I saw a couple YouTube videos when I first read about it. In James's book. And then I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. Of course, the guy who was doing the video was a model. And so he was like, oh, if you want stronger cheekbones, all you have to do is yes. this viewing exercise. Yeah. And I
0: think they used like pictures of Kardashian girls to say, this is what this Kardashian looked like before. And here's what she looks like with more optimal jaw muscles. Didn't mention anything about any surgical interventions that might have happened at the same time of course not (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure that wasn't a factor though i'm sure
1: (laughs) we talked a bit about snoring but something that has really helped um i might have to edit this or at least get permission but something that has really helped decrease my husband's snoring is wearing mouth tape at night can you tell our listeners what mouth tape does
0: yeah mm, literally people look at us funny when we tell them to tape their mouth shut at night (laughs) but that's literally what it is we literally tell people to tape their mouth shut at night (laughs) so mouth taping is mouth breathing at night has become a habit but But you still have good nasal patency, good nasal function where you can breathe through your nose. It's just that habituated mouth falls open. Then, yeah, absolutely, you can put it can be as simple as just one little strip of medical tape that covers your lips, especially to start. You know, start small. Don't make it feel like you're taping your mouth shut um, and make it anxiety-inducing. That doesn't do you any good. Uh, But just a small little piece of tape just to help build that habit of getting used to keeping the mouth closed can be really helpful for snoring um, and for breathing and getting deeper
1: sleep. Why is mouth breathing a problem?
0: Mouth breathing is a problem for a lot of reasons. God designed us to breathe through our noses. That's just kind of how we're made. We only breathe through our mouth as a backup is how it's supposed to work. So we want our noses to be able to filter the air that we breathe in. It's one of our our detoxing capabilities. Just like the skin is a filter for what we absorb into our bodies, our nose is a filter for the air that we breathe in to our lungs. Um, Also, all of the cells that are responsible for producing nitric oxide, which is really important for heart health, those are all in our nose, too, and we really need to be nasal breathing in order to take advantage of that, that nitric oxide production.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up. I don't think people realize what an important role nitric oxide plays in our overall health and how it can reduce cardiovascular disease. But since you did mention the night lays and we're talking about airway issues, I'm curious to learn if you can screen for airway issues.
0: Absolutely. So everyone that comes into my office, we are asking screening questions that kind of give us an idea on how sleep is going. And then really one of the the key points of our new patient exam is we're taking what's called a cone beam CT or a a CBCT, and we are physically measuring the size of a patient's airway so we can see how restricted or not restricted it is. Um, There are also signs that we pick up on that physicians just maybe aren't accustomed to, to looking at. But if I see somebody with flattened off molars and inflamed gum tissue and scalloped borders on the tongue, then I am automatically going to ask more questions about how they're sleeping and um, history of sleep apnea, history of snoring, things like that. Because those are often really telltale signs that there's something going on.
1: In our first version of part one of this two-part series, we talked about the differences between commercial dentistry and biological dentistry. And one of the most important ones for me when I choose a dentist is looking to see if they offer the 3D cone beam scan rather than x-rays. Can you tell me the difference between this 3D cone beam scan, what it looks like, how it operates, and the difference between x-rays?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the the CBCT, the cone beam CT, it is still a type of x-ray. It does still emit radiation, um, but obviously just like normal 2D x-rays, Um, It's all digital. And so the newer machines emit less and less radiation and give us better and better images. So much more bang for our buck, every iteration that those manufacturers have, which is great. Um, And the cone beam CT is, it's basically it takes what you would traditionally think of like a medical CT, where we can look at things in three dimension but like the name says, it is more of a cone-shaped beam of radiation instead of being a very broad beam. It's cone-shaped, very, very detailed. We can focus, basically, I'm looking from just below the chin, you know, kind of middle of the airway to the eye sockets um, with really a fraction of the radiation that a medical CT would have. It's really about the same amount of radiation as what was called a, a what is called a panorex or a pano x-ray, the ones that the orthodontists take or the oral surgeon takes to look at wisdom teeth. So same amount of radiation, which is very, very small and hundreds of times more information than the 2D x-rays have. So not only are we looking at Airway size, airway volume. Um, we're looking at any lumps, bumps, dark spots, white spots that shouldn't be there. So it's good at detecting pathology, uh, even better than a pano that we typically take. It's great at seeing wisdom teeth, not just the location in two dimensions, but now we can, when we can see the location of the wisdom teeth in three dimensions. We can look at how close those wisdom teeth are to the very large mandibular nerve that runs along your bottom jaw. And so we can determine the risk level of nerve damage before we get into surgery and remove wisdom teeth, which is a huge, huge benefit. When we talk about, you know, a lot of dentists are using CBCT now for airway dentistry. They're using them for implant placement because, again, we can see things in 3D, make sure we're not placing the implant in a spot that's not optimal. Um, But then the more holistic offices are using them to have a much closer look at root canals. So we can see, is there any kind of infection going on that maybe a 2D x-ray wouldn't pick up? our endodontic specialists are using it to see any fracture lines in teeth that might be hiding. That's another big one. Um, and then you know, if we get even more into the controversial side of dentistry, then we can look at cavitations. And cavitations are just areas of non-healing bone where wisdom teeth or any other tooth might have been removed in the past um sometimes the bone just doesn't heal properly and we can actually see those areas measure the bone density in those areas as well so cone beam ct is a great tool more and more dental offices are are getting them which is nice um and especially biological dental offices it's become a mainstay
1: i didn't even know what a 3d cone beam scan was until i listened to a very progressive health podcast where the host said he was a physician. And he said, I would never see a dentist unless they did a 3D beam scan.
0: Oh, wow. Nice. I don't think it'll be, it's it's not quite considered standard of care yet, but it's getting very, very close.
1: Oh, but Dr. Ingram, we don't want the standard of care.
0: We're not. <laughs> we hope for much better than the standard of care. <laughs>
1: Now, you brought up a topic that I love talking about, which is orthodontics Mm -hmm. and how it has differed from what we went through in the 80s and 90s. So can we switch gears a little bit and talk about orthodontics?
0: Absolutely. Um, I'm not an orthodontist, thankfully. I, (laughs) I partner with some fantastic ones that are amazing. But yeah, and... As we learn better, we do better, and that was kind of the thingy. That's kind of the theme of orthodontics over the last thirty years. So, really, in the eighties and nineties, if we had a lot of crowding, um, you know, the like my orthodontist told my mom, "Oh, my mouth is just too small for my teeth." Uh, those types of problems, then, when it was significant enough, really, the only option that orthodontists had were to pull out some premolars, shove things back and straighten them out that way. So it was it was a great way to gain space. It still is a is a great way to gain space. And sometimes families will still choose that route, you know, despite knowledge that there are other options. Um, sometimes we just run out of time. We run out of growth in the kiddo's development. Where that becomes the only option um but thankfully when we work with an orthodontist that is more growth and development knowledgeable and more airway aware um you know the orthodontist i use is very very concerned with airway the first thing he did on my own kids was pop them into the cbct and measure their airway which was great um And that's, you know, I had already decided that that's what we were going to do, but that's what helped him decide that, yeah, this, this child is a good candidate for expansion before we even talk about doing braces. You know, we can take advantage of those, that really big growth spurts that kids have in that, you know, eight, nine, 10 year old age range. That's a huge growth spurt. If you can Do an expander during that time, then it makes braces much more simple. There's room for all of the teeth. And in some lucky kids, it makes braces not even necessary because they've got the room and the teeth come in straight like they're supposed to. So, yeah, definitely orthodontics has changed a lot. I was one of the pull teeth out and shove everything back generation.
1: Yep. I was told my mouth was just too small. Just too small. So, And my mom said, have you met my daughter? (laughs) If you don't have a proper airway that doesn't let air in, you don't get the nitric oxide, how does this affect a child's development?
0: Well, there are a lot of ways that we can see visibly. And I can remember them even in my oldest child. I was starting to see she had that airway face. Um, you can start to have what's called a retronathic mandible where the lower jaw is is kind of tucked back and a little bit small for the upper jaw. Um, You can start getting a a longer midface. So it starts to be some aesthetic concerns over time. A longer midface, deeper hollows under the eyes, A little more called venous pooling, which is just dark circles under the eyes. But it starts to get this very characteristic look, where even now my kids can point out. They just did this a couple of weeks ago. They were watching a movie. They're like, "Oh yeah, we were watching this movie," and they were telling me what it was all about. And this one kid looks like he definitely has airway issues. And (laughs) (laughs) it's like, "Yes, I'm doing doing something right." indoctrinating my kids well. Um, And really, this actor was cute kid with a very long midface and a very small lower
1: jaw. That's so sad because I think people think if they can't breathe through their nose, well, then their mouth is just fine. But if they spent the time to read James Nestor's book and dive a little bit deeper into it, I think they would find it paramount.
0: Oh it, yeah, it's really not the same. And that's just I mean goodness, that's really just the aesthetic piece of it. Um but really and truly difficult breathing breeds more difficult breathing in kiddos especially because if you start breathing through the mouth more often, you're going to have more inflammation. You're going to have you're going to have to filter more air through the back of your throat and your tonsils, that can lead to some tonsil hypertrophy, those enlarged tonsils. In some kids, they get so big that we call them kissing tonsils where they're just almost touching. Um, That, I mean, good grief, if you've got tonsils that are almost touching, how easily do you think you can get air back there when you're breathing? It just becomes even more difficult and is this really difficult cycle and then there are all the issues that are a result of poor sleep or or less sleep than needed. Um, bedwetting past the appropriate age of bedwetting. You know, if you've got an eight-year-old that's still bedwetting, then the first thing, the first thing your pediatrician should be looking at is sleep apnea and airway issues in your child. Um, ADD, ADHD, that's a really common Result, anger issues, especially in young boys, um, but young girls too. You know, ADHD, anger, mm, inability to concentrate, getting distracted easily, poor performance in school. Those are those are all things that could be the result of just not being able to breathe properly through their nose.
1: Who knew, right? Because we're trying to probably pinpoint it on so many other things. Oh, maybe they're bedwetting yeah. because they're stressed. They're being bullied at school, whatever it might be. But so many times I feel like if you don't have the right professionals in your life, like yourself, thank goodness you're doing this work and sharing your knowledge. What other kind of solutions are people implementing if they're not looking at the airway?
0: I I mean, I know there are a lot of kiddos who are taking basically amphetamines who shouldn't have to be taking amphetamines. Even just that alone, just that alone. Like the allergy medications, the ADD medications, all of the this steady diet of pharmaceuticals that we're raising our children on is in large part unnecessary and is in large part overkill.
1: Couldn't agree more. You and I are on the same page. So are my listeners. Hopefully, there's some topics in here that people will want to share with their family members, people who have kids. Since we're on the topic of kids, I want to know about the pressure that your mouth causes with every bite and if you're eating something sugary, how that can cause your teeth to actually move.
0: I think it still goes back to those Western, Weston A. Price principles. Most sugary foods, most processed foods require less muscle to ingest. You're really not giving the digestive enzymes, those salivary digestive enzymes, a chance to work appropriately. It just starts this cascade effect of then, you know, you're eating sugar and you're going to have some leaky gut issues because the sugar is causing inflammation in the gut. And then the inflammation of the gut is going to lead to decreased absorption. And a decreased absorption is going to cause inflammation. And that's going to cause you know, some laxity in the ligaments that connect the teeth to the bone. And then the laxity in the ligaments that connect the teeth to the bone are going to allow the teeth to move a bit more.
1: That's really good explanation because I feel like a lot of people are unsure of why their kids need to see the orthodontist. So last time we did dive in on fluoride, which is one of my favorite topics, but one of the things that you mentioned, which could be more effective than fluoride is xylitol. So can you give us a little bit of backgrounded science on xylitol?
0: Yeah, xylitol is a really useful tool for us, especially when we're not using fluoride, but we are trying to decrease the rate of cavities. Um, xylitol yes it is a sweetener it is made from plants so it is a plant-based sweetener it has no to minimal effect on blood sugar so that's nice but i don't necessarily recommend that you ingest it or that you know i don't it's not really my favorite to cook with and i think there are some gastric issues that can come along with it that it's not a recommendation that i have to ingest it but as an oral product, correction, as an oral and nasal product. And it can be really, really helpful at managing and kind of tilling the garden of our microbiome. So the way that it works in the mouth is that it is similar enough in structure to sugar that the bacteria that cause cavities will ingest it but they can't metabolize it. So because those strep mutants bacteria, because they can't metabolize what they've been eating, you know, if they've been eating xylitol, then those bacteria become much more slippery and, um, and just slip right off the teeth. So that's, that's the primary way. That's the first way that we really, really like it is it changes the microbiome over time. Another really awesome benefit that it has is that within 5 minutes of putting some in your mouth, it can drastically change the pH of your saliva. So in these cases where we're really worried about acid base balance and about, you know, about pH balance, then I always tell my patients to have something with xylitol that you like, you know, some kind of gum, mint candy that you enjoy. Um, and have that after meals, especially if we are struggling with cavities and we've got an acid base issue, then we want to make sure we buffer that saliva, that we raise the pH of the saliva more quickly than it is doing on its own normally.
1: In between parts one and part two, I listened to a podcast with a very controversial orthodontist who said he uses honey as toothpaste. Do you have any thoughts on honey?
0: You know what's funny is my husband is friends with a guy who owns a really big honey company, and I'm sure he would be thrilled if there was some kind of dental partnership that we did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say I'm not ready to go there yet. Okay. I love the controversy. Uh, I love a good headline. I'm not quite ready to go there yet. So yeah honey can honey is a great antimicrobial. Um, it can help support the microbiome really well. Um, but it is still it still has it's a very uh usable, digestible, high glycemic food. Um, and as such my 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 research tells me. That the strep mutans bacteria that like to cause acid and cause cavities would love if you had more honey in your diet.
1: Okay, I just wanted to hear your thoughts on it because I had never heard that before. So I was like, "Ooh, I'm ask doctoring."
0: I love that. That caught me off guard. Now I'm going to have to do some research on it.
1: Can you tell me some of the worst foods that are going to stain your teeth and that are acidic and potentially causing some gut issues and then on top of that question how to treat that
0: so does the worst if i really had to think about it it's poison for just about every body part i would yeah that's that's really the big one now I'm a coffee addict too. I mean, I have some in it. It's almost three o'clock in the afternoon, which is, that's another story altogether. Um, I have a problem. (laughs) And sometimes I put butter in it and a lot of times I put collagen in it. So I do doctor it up with things that are uh, a little more helpful uh, and a little easier on my gut too.
1: Before you go on, I just wanted for like a nice public service announcement. Yes, You should never put your collagen in your coffee if it's hot because it will render it useless what so if yeah so sorry but if you're putting collagen or colostrum in your hot coffee Mm -hmm. you are you might as well dump it down the the,
0: i had no idea no idea is there a way to put collagen in your coffee and not have
1: it be useless i would say if it was lukewarm if it was borderline been out for about an hour where you don't where you're maybe more doesn't to it it. (laughs) right interesting oh that's so
0: good you kind of just blew my brain i love that okay
1: um now back back to what are a few things that are acidic really bad for the body and how how do you go about treating the teeth the gut i'm just gonna let you take that any direction you want
0: So we talked about soda, things that are pretty much as bad as soda would be sports drinks like your Gatorade, Powerade, those types of drinks, um, and lemonade are kind of all basically in the same category. Sweet tea is pretty close. So all of those are acidic, um, tons of sugar, usually in the form of high fructose corn syrup, um, will etch the teeth and provide the cavity-causing bacteria fuel to etch the teeth and do damage even further. So that's one thing where even if you are doing everything else right and you have perfect hygiene, if you have a soda habit, then stop it.
1: I don't know if you've tried this. I occasionally a few times a year i love coca-cola in a glass bottle oh yeah i have found is i don't know the brand i'll see if i can find them put them in the show notes is there these little i'm pretty sure they're xylitol drops and they have different flavors orange vanilla they have a coca cola one i think it just says coke on the label and then i mix it with sparkling water and i feel like that's my fix if people need a bit of um a bit of a recipe or a substitute for their soda habit.
0: I think that's a great hack. I think that's great. You know, the, I don't mind, and I maybe I was too harsh before. So when I say there's nothing I can do to help you, there's, I'm really talking about those people who are drinking soda at least once a day, if not multiple times a day for an, exter- an extended period of time these are the ones where it it's an uphill battle all the time but you know, kids are kids and humans are humans we're going to have treats every once in a while and so yeah you can you can either hack it to where your treats a little bit better like a step better than a commercial soda with high fructose corn syrup is maybe a more natural soda that uses at least real sugar instead of corn syrup um a step better than that would be you know something that you like a the hack that you mentioned where it's carbonated water and a, a sugar-free sweetener i think those are fine and those are fine to do as treats every once in a while too um and then i i always tell my kiddos especially in the practice that you know i expect you to have treats but treat it as a treat not an everyday habit and then when you do have a treat rinse with water right afterwards and have a piece of xylitol gum or xylitol mint afterwards too if you can
1: ooh i love that i'm going to start doing that because you said the xylitol will make sure that you're less susceptible to cavities correct correct i love that it's actually i was waiting for you to bring something up so i could share this story my husband and I were out for a walk yesterday, and I heard this mom tell her daughter, you need to be nice to the kids at school because then at the end of the day, you'll get a cookie. And to May. me, I just felt like it like it broke my heart a little bit to hear that we're training our kids like animals, like do something and you'll get a treat. But how about, you know, treat the kids nice at school because that's the way the world works. Let's try to do something to make ourselves a better society
0: you would think so and I also I mean I love teachers I love them so much I have made the personal parenting choice to delegate my children's education to teachers which is a big deal for me to delegate that because that's something that I feel very strongly is my responsibility and so I've decided that I'm going to choose a school that can teach them. Better than I feel like I'm capable of doing. Um, but good grief, teachers, if y'all could stop rewarding my kids with candy, that would be super amazing. Um, and maybe not even just my kids, because my kids I know are going to get good healthy foods at home. Um, and I know we're taking care of things, but maybe just everybody else's kids. If you could stop giving them candy. <laughs> That would make my job so much easier if we could reward them with like stickers and hugs and high fives and things like that.
1: Definitely. I remember we had a reward system when I was growing up for the chores that we did. And yeah, we had soda that was on there, but it was treated like a treat. But the majority of what we wanted to save up our points or rewards for was To have a sleepover or a pizza party, but let it in a bigger pile and save them up and cash them in for something that's, you know, gonna help us. That's way
0: cooler. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. Now I will have to do a whole other podcast on children and habits and
1: rewarding
0: behaviors.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, since. We took a bit of a diverted conversation. I love it. I love it. (laughs) Hello, listeners. I'm loving having Dr. Ingram back on the show a second time. One of my favorite things about her practice is that she filters the entire water system that goes into her practice. So the water that comes out of her tap handles, every single piece of dental equipment that she uses in your mouth, it's all with filtered water. And if you're listening to this, there's a good chance that you're part of my tribe looking for those businesses like Tony's. For instance, my hairstylist also filters the water throughout his entire salon, which means every single tap handle has filtered water coming through it. This is really important to me. I'll definitely have a few experts on where we'll go through why filtered water is so important. And I feel like I could probably go off into a diatribe of why fluoride is so detrimental to our health. But I would again urge you to listen to Dr. Ingram's episode all about fluoride. She does touch on the controversial topic of how fluoride can calcify the pineal gland, which runs into a huge slew of issues. But what I wanted to mention on this break is that it's estimated that around 10 to 25% of children are mouth breathers, which means that they're more likely to develop sleep disorders and sleep apnea. Children who are mouth breathers are more likely to have dental problems like mallocollusion and facial differences, which Dr. Ingram talks about, which again, I could probably go really deep into but if you or your children are mouth breathers, again, I'm not a clinician, but I would definitely recommend trying mouth tape. The mouth tape that I use is just regular old duct tape. There are a couple different brands. One has a stronger smell and adhesion than the other. So I opt for the one that doesn't smell as strong, If you're a mouth breather, this is something that healthcare providers can diagnose. Or if your child is a restless sleeper or they snore, then they may be developing the habit of mouth breathing. I'm definitely going to bring on an airway specialist in the future. But this is just something that I really wanted to address because I know this could also take up a two-part series just discussing mouth breathing. So we'll get back into the show. Just wanted to share that light of information. As I know, Dr. Ingram and I got off on a bit of a tangent, but now we're getting back into oral health. Let's get back to the show. I wanted to know, I just have no idea, and I've been doing so much research i've listened to so many biohacking podcasts i want to know if charcoal in the form of toothpaste is safe for your mouth
0: yes charcoal is safe for your mouth
1: it is very
0: safe in fact um And most of the time, the abrasiveness is really not even as bad as some of the other powders that can be used. Um, So every once in a while, people will get into a little bit of trouble mouth-wise when they're only using tooth powders to brush with. I love it. I mean, tooth powders are great. That's one good way to make sure that your ingredients are really, really clean is to have a powder, especially if you're putting it together yourself. Um, but sometimes if they're using just baking soda, that can be a little too abrasive and can irritate the gum tissue. And I see much less of that gum irritation if patients are using charcoal instead. So yeah, it's a, it's a really good natural tooth whitener. Uh, I'm all for it. I'm on team charcoal.
1: Oh, okay. I just had, I saw so I, the research was so conflicting, so I'm glad Dr. Tony Ingram is here to set the record straight that you can use charcoal toothpaste.
0: You have my blessing.
1: Yes. I also listened to a few different shows discussing how soft or firm your bristles should be when you brush. I know there's a few different ways we can take this. So can we get into the firmness of bristles and your preferred... mm, your preferred method of, or maybe I should say your preferred, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. If you prefer electric or manual toothbrushing.
0: Oh, excellent question. I I have not heard any differing advice or differing conclusions in the peer-reviewed literature on this in quite some time, which is good news because that means that still, Like I was taught in school, still soft bristles are the way to go. Medium and hard bristles are good for scrubbing tile and grout only. Um, And electric toothbrushes do perform better than manual toothbrushes. And I will usually tell patients that in general, you get what you pay for with a toothbrush. In general. Now that just means that a $10 spin brush is going to do a better job than a manual toothbrush and that means that a $100 Sonicare or Oral B is going to do better than a spin brush or a manual toothbrush. Once we get above the 100-120 price point then I don't really see that much difference in actual performance then it's more just bells and whistles um and then cuteness of the toothbrush and I'm all for cute toothbrushes i like a I like a sexy toothbrush.
1: my little cool. sister she said the exact same thing if it's over a hundred dollars, you're wasting your money
0: well, and except for the aesthetics, except for the aesthetics and now I don't wear it like i'm a, I'm not gonna Dis any brand, but there are some. There's a, one or two brands that are available in Target uh, that have really, really cool packaging and they're really sleek. And um, I love their packaging. I love the aesthetics of their toothbrush. And they are just under the price of a Sonicare, but still kind of a, a higher price point. And man, functionality wise, those things suck. So je- I still, um, and I'll keep looking, I'll, I'll buy a few more here and there because I need to keep up and make sure that all of our listeners can know. But so far, much to my chagrin, that Philips Sonicare is still the best performing in my book and what I see in my patients.
1: Whew. Okay, good. I've been using a Sonicare for years, so Thanks. that makes me happy.
0: Same. Same. And every hygienist I've ever worked with has always used Sonicare. Uh, Oral-B is a close second. And I do have a few colleagues who prefer Oral-B to Sonicare. Um, But I still, as far as how patients look when they come back in six months, the Sonicare is my favorite.
1: Are there any tips to extend the life of those bristles?
0: That's an excellent question. If there is, I don't know it. And I'm always struggling to tell patients to buy new heads more often. So, I mean, the main thing is don't scrub like crazy, especially with a Sonicare. You shouldn't be scrubbing at all. Let the Sonicare do the work that it's supposed to do. You don't even have to move it in little circles like you do with a manual toothbrush. You literally just hold it in a spot for a couple of seconds and then move on to the next spot. Um, so don't scrub that will extend it. You know, if you ever looked at a, the toothbrush of a three-year-old and it looks like a shaggy troll doll after a couple of weeks, if your toothbrush looks like that, it's time to change it. Um, time to change out the head. Um, and then really the, the only other thing that I would say is make sure that you're letting the toothbrush bristles dry in between uses. That's really the... And I'm not just a huge germaphobe, but you want your toothbrush to be not disgusting. And if you're, if you're sick, then you want to switch out the head. And if you want to not have a gross toothbrush with tons of bacteria, then the key to that is letting it dry in between each use.
1: Something my mom would make us do growing up is we were never allowed to store our toothbrushes in the drawer because I don't know where she heard it or if it's just that motherly wisdom, but to let them stand on the counter so they can breathe and to never put them near each other because the germs, I think, I don't know if this is the right story or an old wives tale, that germs could jump if you store your toothbrushes next to each other. It,
0: you know, I think your mom was onto something. I definitely agree with putting them on the counter instead of in the drawer be- for that reason, because we want them to dry. And yeah, I think if they're in close proximity, there's always the chance that they'll, they'll touch and you'll have some bacteria pass back and forth. Um, but then that just goes back to the concept of the transmissibility of your microbiome for good or bad. Um, and it cavity, dental caries, the disease, the infection that causes cavities, is a transmissible disease. It's a transmissible infection. So anybody that you're sharing a toothbrush with, sharing drinks with, kissing, um, you're going to share bacteria with them. And that's why now that's that goes back to our first podcast and just cavities in general. Um, we just want to make sure that we are... Keeping, keeping our microbiome healthy and treating the, the microbiome as a family.
1: I want to touch back on how you said to brush because I do have a Sonicare and I actually will go up and down a little bit on each tooth right near the gum line, but you're saying I can just hold it on the tooth for a second.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that That is what the powers that be at Sonicare teach us is that, and they even show us the little pictures with the fluid flow, the liquid flow in between the teeth and around and under the gum line if you just hold it in place for a couple of seconds.
1: Good to know. Yeah. One other thing that I'll do, again, a tip from my mom is I'll take my toothbrush head out at least once a month and I'll just put it in the sun. Just let the sun hit it to disinfect it. I like that. Your mom's a cool gal. Well, she did question for today. She was in a bit of a bicycle accident and she had cracked a tooth where she already had a gold crown on it and the dentist and she had a root canal in that same tooth and the dentist said he wanted to see what would happen, come back in a month and she's a bit concerned if she needs another root canal, if the tooth needs to be pulled. And if it is pulled, does she need an implant? I know it's a bit of a loaded question, but isn't that crown supposed to protect from any future cracks?
0: That is typically the purpose of a crown is to help maintain the structure of the tooth. Um, Now, obviously that would depend on how bad the, the accident was and where the fracture was. It would be, I agree, it would take a a pretty good blow to crack a tooth that already had a crown, um, especially a gold crown, because then you're not, there's no concern with porcelain cracking or fracturing anywhere. Um, but yes, it is still possible. Um, and anytime a tooth has a root canal, it tends to be more brittle, and so cracks do happen more often. In teeth with root canals, because there's there's no blood supply. When there's no blood supply, it just becomes more more brittle. Um, but yes, that that answers the first part. Okay. Second part was should she have it removed and should she get an implant? Right. Correct. I would say if it's cracked and not savable. Again, that depends on does she want to have that tooth in her head? Does she want to have a root canal in her head or does it more align with her values to to not? Um, so it will just depend on the case and what her goals were. But I would say, yeah, if she decided or if the dentist decided that it wasn't savable and she needed to have that tooth taken out, then yeah, implants are... Most of the time, a good option, not always, but most of the time implants are a really good option. And then there are more there are more material concerns after that too was does she want a titanium implant? Does she want a zirconia implant? Um what other metals does she have in her mouth? All that good stuff? So hopefully she, hopefully it was just a teeny tiny little crack and it's like a no big deal and nothing, um, like a chip off the tooth and then she won't even have to worry about it. But if it's something major that, that, then, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that she has good candid conversations with her dentist and, or endodontist, uh, whoever her team is to go over different options
1: think she just needs you as her dentist well have
0: her fly on out I'd love to see her
1: oh I love that um you make such good points one of the things that I wanted to bring up it just popped into my head but can you walk me through what kind of treatments are available and what you would recommend if someone is experiencing tooth sensitivity
0: Tooth sensitivity. Usually, the first thing that we'll do is start them on a remineralizing toothpaste and see if we can get it under control from there. Um, that's the the easiest, quickest way to do it. And MI paste tends to be the best at that, the best at reducing sensitivity, um, but not always. and And the ingredients are there are. Toothpaste with cleaner ingredients than MI paste, um, but really that's that's kind of our first step is a remineralizing toothpaste, something with hydroxyapatite that can help. Um, if that doesn't seem to be helpful, or if it's some more intense sensitivity, then we can move on to something like ozone, where we I've mm-hmm. got like a little suction cup device that's hooked up to my ozone machine, and we can ozonate tooth by tooth. Um, And so we'll apply some ozone gas to that tooth for maybe 20, 30 seconds, up to a minute, um, and see if that can help with the sensitivity. Again, that just kills some of the bacteria that's within the tubules, helps decrease inflammation, um, and then ideally helps reverse some of that fluid flow within what's called the dentinal tubules. So that's kind of the theory behind hypersensitivity in teeth is you know, you, your teeth are basically sponges and we have all of these little tubules in the hard tooth structure that makes up our teeth. And so the theory is that, oh, and there's fluid that's always flowing back and forth in these tubules. So the theory goes is that when that fluid flow reverses, um, then the nerve of the tooth becomes more exposed to the outer elements and becomes inflamed and then therefore sensitive if something cold hits it or something sweet hits it. So that's kind of the the basis behind it. Um, If those things won't work, if the topical things, the things that are kind of in my world don't work, then we really need to dig into systemic inflammation because I do find a lot of times that systemic inflammation can show up as tooth sensitivity. I'll see it a lot of times in women of childbearing age, their tooth sensitivity will increase right, you know, right around around ovulation, right before their period, when things tend to, when we tend to feel more things. Um, And so same thing if if we've got somebody who all of a sudden their blood pressure or their blood sugar is all of a sudden out of control, you know, just these other hints that there's some inflammation going on. Inflammation shows up in different ways for every person. Sometimes it's as headaches, sometimes it's gut issues, and for some people, it's gum and tooth issues. So it's just kind of digging in and figuring out what those triggers are for each person.
1: What about tooth grinding? What are some of the causes and symptoms?
0: Mm, that kind of takes us full circle because that brings us back to airway. Um One of the, you know, how we talked about flattened off molars, flattened off teeth as one of the indications of airway issues, Um, that's absolutely true. So we will often see increased grinding and clenching if somebody has some kind of airway issue, some kind of sleep disturbance or sleep apnea. So that's probably, probably one of the biggest ones. Um, I think the the old school theory was that it was all stress. I do think that stress can play a role in grinding and clenching, but it's certainly not the primary cause like we used to think. And then I have a lot of naturopaths, especially in the world of pediatrics, who will say that parasites is a a huge cause of some tooth grinding in kiddos. So all things that should be looked at. I tend to look at airway first. Um, and then if, if airway is not making sense or if we've already addressed that, then we move to some of these other issues.
1: That's okay. really helpful. Then I would imagine if you're working with yeah. a naturopath with your patients that maybe you would also do stool testing for those parasites.
0: Yes. Yeah. The pediatricians that I work with, absolutely. They, they do a lot of stool testing and nutrient testing.
1: Okay. I also wanted to learn if you do or offer cosmetic dentistry as well as whitening. I do.
0: You know, I found that it, I don't uh, tend to attract a lot of it um, just because the the values that I practice with, it, I think cosmetic dentistry is really nice, um, but I think... I honestly think a real smile is more attractive than a fake smile. Um, I think a healthy smile is better than one that just looks good. And so I don't tend to uh, manifest a whole lot of cosmetic cases. I enjoy them. I enjoy them. Um, But I also know I wouldn't enjoy doing them all the time. So I am happy to do some veneers for patients. I'm happy to do whitening for patients, but it's not a mainstay of my practice. And I do, you know, I do attract patients who are very, very detail-oriented and very, very uh, educated and self-educate around all of their health and wellness issues, including dentistry. And so with that, that means they're a little more aesthetically demanding. And so, if I know that they want some cosmetic dentistry and it's going to be one of those where they really want to get, they really want to nitpick all of the details, like they want their lateral incisor exactly 1.2 millimeters shorter than their central incisor. And they want their central incisors the exact same length as their canines. Like, if we know that that that's their jam and I'm fine with that then I am happy to pair them up with a cosmetic dentist or um, a prosthodontist, somebody that is accustomed to being able to meet those demands very predictably.
1: I've heard one of the hardest things you can do in dentistry is to match the veneer to the tooth color of the patient And when I lived in Australia, I had a great (laughs) biological dentist. I loved her so much. And my tooth number nine was almost all the way knocked out when I was little. It's a little bit shorter than the other big tooth next to it. And for years, I had been considering just one veneer. And this dentist almost talked me into it. But I said, let me think about it. I want to talk to my little sister, who's a dental hygienist. And I love my little sister so much. And she was like, that's the hardest thing to do in dentistry. And she said, if you want a veneer, don't just do your one big tooth, do both of your big front teeth. And then she said, that can look a little funny. So you might as well do your four front teeth. (laughs) So can you walk me through what, what veneers look like and why color matching is so tough and or so important?
0: Yes, especially when it's a single front tooth. If you don't have symmetry in the shading of that single front tooth, then it will it will look prominent, at least in pictures, it'll look prominent. It'll look prominent to you, which is what's really important. So yeah, that is tough to match. Um usually if we're having somebody do honestly, if we're doing anything on those front four teeth at all, then I lean towards sending them to the lab directly to do a custom shade. That way we're not just looking at the shade guide where we only have you know 15 options to choose from. Um, we're, we're making it much more custom. And then a good lab technician that is accustomed to doing custom shades can really do a nice job of getting that to match really well. So yes, it is difficult, but yes, it is doable. And yes, your sister's advice is very, very common advice too. Oh, good.
1: Um, I also wanted to ask, so we talked about the 3D cone beam scan. You told me about the night lays. Can you walk <laughs> me through some of the other cutting edge technology that you have within your dental practice?
0: Well, I would say those are really the big ones is ozone, um, laser procedures, and CBCT. Um, We have a scanner where we don't have to take impressions anymore, or at least not very often, uh, but that's almost getting to where it's not cutting edge anymore. It's getting more and more common, which is nice too. Um, With that laser, that really is... most cutting edge because we can do things like night lays we can do a cosmetic procedure called smooth lays where we're using that same technique to build collagen fibers on the inside of the mouth that help the appearance of the face so same type of thing but it helps smooth out fine lines and wrinkles which is really cool um We can use that same laser for just about anything, for cutting soft tissue, for doing tongue tie revisions, um, for doing phrenectomies, you know, the little tongue tie revisions on infants even. Um, We use it on hard tissue so we can remove it to, use it to remove some decay, which is really nice. Um, And then all kinds of, of little, fun gum procedures and just areas where we need to decrease inflammation and do this bio, this bio, photo biomodulation where we're decreasing, I'll get it out eventually, where we're decreasing inflammation with the laser energy.
1: Ooh, I love that. Do you offer a vitamin C drip?
0: We do. Yeah. And we'll do that after, after big procedures, if somebody's having their wisdom teeth removed, Um, or if they're having their amalgam fillings removed, then a lot of times we'll do, we'll have our IV nurse come out and do an IV with some high dose vitamin C, some glutathione, then a nice good B complex, um, helps decrease inflammation and detox from the meds a little bit faster, especially if you're sedated for the procedure, then it's nice to have that detox capability enhanced.
1: These are some of the most important questions that I look for when I am looking for a new dentist is if they offer ozone, which is cutting edge, if they have a vitamin C drip, if they have a 3D cone beam, those are usually my top three pillars for looking for a dentist because you're not going to find a commercial dentist. I, I imagine it's going to be very rare if they would offer that. You're going to be led down that path to find a holistic biological dentist like yourself. So one of the stories that I wanted to share today was my bad dental experience, which has been the only one in my life. But part of the reason I started this show was because I want listeners to advocate for themselves and to not get caught up in marketing, which I definitely did. This company used the word holistic everywhere. They had five-star reviews. They had maybe too many five-star reviews, which you feel like they maybe are giving you some kind of monetary or financial reward to leave that five-star review. Mm -hmm. And when I went to see the dentist, I thought it was very peculiar, but they didn't have dental hygienist. When I went to get my teeth cleaned and the dentist cleaned my teeth, there was blood everywhere. Those little gauze pads, the way that she was cleaning my teeth, blood everywhere and my little sister when she would clean my teeth she would always prep me and say if there's any pain if anything doesn't feel good raise your hand and you know I'm sure you've seen it when something doesn't feel good the patient will twitch you can just tell that yeah. They're sensitive. What? yeah this dentist kept working and kept working and then she said we're gonna do x-rays today and I had already emailed the front desk reception, what my 3D cone beam looked looked like about six months ago. And I said, I don't think I need x-rays. I, ha- I just had them six months ago. Usually I get them every year. And I felt that pressure from the white coat to say, you have to have them done. And it was just such a bad experience. And so I just want listeners to know the important questions to ask and what to look for when it comes to a biological dentist What else would you add, Dr. Ingram, is important to make sure that patients find someone who's going to care for them in a way that's not just get them in, get them out?
0: Uh, Oh, I hate that you have that experience. I'm so sorry. We need to find a way to get your sister to where she can clean your teeth all the time. Right. I feel like that is her obligation as your sister (laughs) Wherever she's at, she needs to fly in or fly you out to, right. to do your cleaning. Um, Man, I would say you've got to get a good feel from the get-go. If you don't have a good feel, if you don't feel comfortable, then you've got to advocate for yourself and be willing to say thanks but no thanks. Um, And you know that... The x-ray question is one that I get a lot, and obviously who we see, we get a lot of pushback on x-rays, which is completely fine. Um, And it's always the patient's choice, but because everything else about the experience for you led you not to trust that dentist and trust that practitioner, it made that just one more conversation, one more nail in the coffin of you you feeling like this person is does not have my best interests at heart, um, which is really crummy. So I would say, you know, even amongst holistic dentists, even amongst biological dentists, there are people whose bedside manner is really good and really helpful and really conducive to good relationships and good two-way communication. And then there are some who that's just not their, that's just not their jam and maybe not what they're great at. So it's not necessarily it's not necessarily just that. You know, the same as you can find a more traditional, a more mainstream dentist who does have great communication, who is willing to sit knee to knee and eye to eye and be able to explain why they need x-rays and why they or why they don't and be able to to still get you to a point where you feel good about the relationship and you're getting the care that you need while they're protecting their license as they're practicing um so man that's a hard one because i really was Expecting you to ask me how to find a holistic dentist, and I was going to point you to the best directories to find holistic dentists. But even when you do that, it's still a matter of that one on one relationship, that getting a good feel, being an advocate for yourself and for your kids when you're taking your kids to the dentist too, um, and just feeling good about it, which I know is like a pansy answer but that really is the best answer that I have
1: it's a very genuine answer I appreciate it now I do want to ask what are these directories? how can people find more dentists like you yeah so that that one's easy that one I can do for... <laughs> uh, so the two
0: biggest organizations that provide training and meetings in biological dentistry um they both have very long names. So one of them is the I A O M T M is in Mary. And that stands for the international Academy of oral medicine and toxicology. Um, and the other one is the I A B D M the international Academy of biological dentistry and medicine or medicine and dentistry. I always forget and get those switched. Um, both of them provide training in biological dentistry. Uh, both of them have very active directories. And you can even see, I know I'm I'm more active in the IAOMT. That's where I got my accreditation. Um, and so I know for sure on that directory, they'll even have how many meetings the dentist has been to. So you can kind of get a feel for, okay, are they... Are they really into this or are they just checking off the box and being, becoming a member? Um, it has their accreditation status and if they are SMART certified or not. And SMART is just the, the techniques for safely removing amalgam fillings. So I would say definitely look for um, somebody who at the very least has gone through that process of committing to safely removing amalgam fillings. In the IAOMT, it's called SMART. And in the IABDM, I believe it's called the PROTECT protocols.
1: That's really good information. I appreciate you sharing that. I also wanted to touch on just... I also wanted to touch on the books that are important when it comes to educating yourself. In your podcast, you mentioned the fluoride deception I think last time we talked about one of my favorite books, The Hidden Epidemic. What other books would you recommend listeners get their hands on so they can educate themselves? Oh,
0: let's see what's on my shelf right now. The Dental Diet by Dr. Stephen Lynn. That's a good book. If you want like the long version of Dr. Lynn's book, it's just the Weston A. Price book. Shh, don't tell anybody I said that. But nutrition and physical degeneration is kind of the the classic. That's all the growth and development stuff.
1: Which maybe we want to put a disclaimer in there that there can be some really confronting pictures.
0: Yes, for sure. For, for sure. Um, Breathe by James Nestor. Uh, This one is a cute little quick read called The Natural Cure for Tooth Decay. It has some good tips and tricks in there. Nardine Artemis's holistic dental care, lots of caveats, but still a net good for all of us who like to biohack and like to educate ourselves. Ramiel Nagel's books, uh, Cure Tooth Decay was kind of his classic and Cure Gum Disease Naturally. Lots of good tips in there. Um, also on my shelf, Your Toxic Teeth that's a good one. Anybody who has heart disease or has a family history of heart disease, it's called Beat the Heart Attack Gene. Uh, The two authors of this book, Bradley Bale and Amy Donine, they teach a lot of classes and I really, really like their methods, but um, man, they are great at what they do. So Beat the Heart Attack Gene is a fabulous, fabulous book. Um, Another really awesome Dentist, not so much on the holistic side, but but kind of in some ways she is is uh, Susan Maples. I love, I just love to listen to her speak. Susan Maples is phenomenal, and I kind of want to be her when I grow up. Uh, But her book is called Blabbermouth, and so it's all about oral systemic health. Yeah, if you can get Susan Maples on, too, she's fantastic. She does a lot of speaking and teaching, and then. One one area that I really have done a lot of reading and digging in on in the last couple of years, especially, is I've noticed much more issues with trauma showing up in my office. Um, it affects how patients are able to take care of their teeth and how patients are able to tolerate the treatment that I recommend that they get. Uh, and so one book on that is called The Body Keeps the Score. And so it's a, another fantastic book. And really, I, over the last couple of years, it's really been eye-opening how literally trauma affects your fascia, it affects your cells, it is stored in deep places physiologically in our bodies. And so, um, so The Body Keeps the Score is a really, really good book about trauma.
1: I'm glad you shared that. Thank you. All right, Dr. Ingram, what haven't I asked you that you'd like my listeners to know?
0: Ooh, we've talked about so much. We did not talk much about tongue revisions in regards to a fascia release in the body. So I would say just kind of the, the quick and dirty the the fast and furious is a tongue tie release is really when it's done well, when it's done properly, the tongue tie release is the completion of a fascial release. So we take really special care to make sure that our patients are getting the appropriate body work, that they're getting that the care of their fascial system to make sure that they're ready mentally, emotionally, to make sure their fascia is ready to have a tongue-tie release so that the tongue-tie release, the actual revision, is just the completion of that. So I would say that's the only one thing. So if if any of your listeners are either, if they have a little one that's tongue-tied, or if they themselves are thinking about getting a tongue-tie revision, to make sure that they are also seeking out the appropriate body work from a skilled body worker before they have the procedure done.
1: I would love to learn more about the body work that can be done and how they can get this resolved and what causes tongue ties.
0: Ooh you know what causes tongue ties is kind of the million dollar question and there are some some theories going around um and i think the current best theories are a lot of stored trauma um stored toxicity uh things like that that are that are passed to our babies but what i do know is that Every midwife that I've talked to who's been a midwife for at least two decades, they all are saying that they are seeing more tongue ties now in babies than they did when they first started. Um, And none of them really can say with certainty, is that just because we're more aware of tongue ties? Or is it really that we have that much more... Stress, trauma, uh, environmental stress in, in utero or, um, or the exact cause of it. But those are some of the theories, is that it is stored stress, whether that is emotional stress or environmental
1: stress.: Can you walk me through the bodywork portion or how you can find a good body worker to help resolve these issues?
0: Yeah, so there are some really good cranial sacral therapists, um, and even some massage therapists, chiropractors. The main thing is that they are trained in doing tongue tie, revision, body work. Um, and they will that will that will look different for each practitioner. the The ones that I work with here in Texas. Are really adamant on if it's a, a an infant or a child that we're working with, then they insist that mom also gets bodywork done as well. So we treat the dyad. We treat mom and baby. We never treat just baby. And, and that really, I find has been incredibly helpful in how babies do afterwards. In their response afterwards, and in mom's stress afterwards, because it can be it can be a stressful procedure uh, for mom to have to to listen in on, and then there's all kinds of exercises that they have to do afterwards. It can be stressful if they're not well prepared, and so the body work, the the love and care that that the cranial sacral therapist or or whomever is giving can be really. Uh, instrumental in making sure that they're calming everybody's nerves, kind of getting everybody into a place of rest and digest and, and nurturing in there.
1: I'm glad that we did touch on this topic because I don't know if people know that the fascia runs from your head to your toes. It connects. It's literally touching every part of your muscles, connecting it to your skin. It's all connected. Correct.
0: Correct. All connected.
1: Ooh. Okay. Now, is there anything else that you want to make sure that we touch on? No, but I'm really excited about the future as honey brushing
0: and then butter pulling at the same time with a piece of warm bread, because Ooh. I feel like that would all go together really, really well. And then we'd have to talk more about the dangers of gluten and insulin resistance after the breath. <laughs> oh
1: yeah. Oh, well, insulin resistance is paired to nitric oxide, which is something that I really, right. about I could talk about again for hours and hours, yes. but we'll wrap it up there. It was such a pleasure having you on the show again. Thank you so much for your time today. We'll make sure we put everything in the show notes, the books, all those long letters of where people can find dentists like you, as well as where people can find all your information. But one more time, what's your website? Our website is www.flourish.dental. Wonderful. Dr. Ingram, thank you so much for your time today. You bet, Ashley. Thank you. This podcast is presented for educational and exploratory purposes only. Published content is not intended to be used for diagnosing or treating any illnesses, disease, or disorders. Those responsible for this show disclaim any responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of this information presented by myself or my guests. Please consult with your healthcare provider before using any products or services referenced in this podcast. This podcast may contain paid endorsements for products or services. Any third-party materials or content of any third-party site reference on this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of standards or the policy of my guests. This podcast and my website, ashleydaily.com, represent the opinions of myself. The content discussed on the show should not and does not replace medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. Episodes on Welcome to Wellness may at times cover sensitive topics, including, but not limited to, depression, suicide, COVID-19, vaccines, events related to the pandemic, 5G, big pharma, nootropics, circumcision, psychedelics, hormones, the Women's Health Initiative, birth control, the use of plants, medicine, abortion, geoengineering, terrorism, gender, AI, insect drugs, and rock and roll. You are advised to refrain from listening to this podcast if you are likely to be offended or adversely impacted by any of these topics. However, if these topics are of interest to you, you just may have found your tribe. The information or opinions expressed on the Welcome to Wellness show are solely the views of the individuals involved by no means represent absolute facts. Opinions expressed by the host and the guests can change at any time. The views of my guests are solely their views and the Welcome to Wellness show does not accept responsibility for them. And any action you take on the information contained within the show is strictly at your own risk. The Welcome to Wellness host, Ashley Dealey, will not be liable for any losses or damages in connection with the use of this podcast. You should take all necessary steps to ascertain the information you receive from this podcast is correct and has been verified. None of the guests or contributors on the Welcome to Wellness this podcast will be responsible for your use of the information contained therein. Under no circumstances will the Welcome to Wellness show or my affiliates, partners, suppliers, licenses, or guests appearing on this show be liable for any direct or indirect or consequential damage arising from your use of or inability to access this podcast. All intellectual property rights belong to Ashley Daily, included but not limited to the copyright and any other rights in the design. You are permitted to use the Welcome to Wellness podcast for personal use but not for commercial use without license. You may not make any recordings of or otherwise copy this podcast. If you breach these terms, you lose the right to access Access the Welcome to Wellness Podcast and you must destroy or return any copies of the recordings you have made. Guests on the Welcome to Wellness Podcast may at times provide information on or read extracts from third parties' copyrighted work. The Welcome to Wellness Podcast does not provide any medical or professional advice within these episodes. Anything said should not be taken as replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. If you take any action or inaction as a result from the content you consume from the Welcome to Wellness Podcast, this is based solely on your decision and the Welcome to Wellness Podcast and Ashley Dealey, and my guests cannot be held liable for any of the consequences of such action or inaction, thank you.